I'm Stuart Vonnie. I'm Martha McCallum. I'm Jason Chaffetz, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Friday, October 23rd, 2020. I'm Trey Yanks. Amid reports of Russian intelligence gathering, the FBI is assuring Americans their votes are safe. The U.S. Congress has never been more resolved in a bipartisan way to sanction Russia than they are now, and that's, that's all thanks to Russia's action. This is the Fox News Rundown, global pandemic. Once again, Russia is making headlines in the United States. As the country works to fight coronavirus and develop a vaccine, Russia is also reportedly interfering in American elections. Over the next few minutes, you'll get the latest headlines on the global COVID-19 outbreak and hear from Matthew Rojansky, the director of the Wilson Center's Kennan Institute. Starting first in Switzerland, where more than 300,000 total cases of coronavirus have been reported. The nation is considering tighter restrictions after reporting more than 6,000 new cases today and 10 deaths. Switzerland is seeing 235 cases per 100,000 people in a seven-day period, one of the highest in Europe. Now to the Netherlands, that has seen a spike in new cases. With more than 9,000 new daily cases, Dutch officials are transferring some COVID-19 patients to Germany for treatment. Eight regions in the Netherlands have now moved to the highest risk level for residents. Finally, to Russia, where more than 17,000 daily cases are being reported. Experts are warning the second coronavirus wave could be 10 times worse than the first. As Russia promotes its strides in vaccine development, American intelligence officials say Russia is also continuing strides in election information gathering. What our intelligence community knows and what has been reported are probably two different things. This is Matthew Rojansky, the director of the Wilson Center's Kennan Institute. But at least as far as uh, what has uh, at this point been made public, we know that uh, there are groups of Russian hackers, um, likely also Iranian hackers, and I would add, and this is my personal addition, likely others um, who have sought to compromise voter data. Now, whether that indicates that they already have or are planning to uh, go to the specific step of attempting to compromise the voting process, be it the remote uh, you know, mail-in voting process or the physical in-person voting, which in many cases now is electronic. Uh, you know, mo- most listeners probably will have had that experience of pressing a button on a screen. Um, these are not uh, totally unhackable systems in some cases because somewhere in the system on the back end somewhere is an electronic database and the odds that computers with control over that database are connected to the Internet somewhere I would say are fairly good. Um, that's just the way our, our national infrastructure has been built. The big question to my mind is, why would the Russians do this, um, given that it's so well known that they have been engaging in information and disinformation operations, in some cases actual, uh, at least pre-pandemic, actual insertion of, of agents uh, to pose as Americans and uh, you know, try to uh, foment unrest and uh, and push extreme partisanship and so forth uh, with some success. You know, why now would they need to move to this step as well, um, given that there's just no proof, even after four years, that they had an appreciable impact on the outcome, that they have been absolutely hammered with sanctions? I don't think it's a I don't think it's a bridge too far to say the U.S. Congress has never been more resolved in a bipartisan way to sanction Russia than they are now. And that's that's all thanks to Russia's actions. 
Yeah, it really is a, a great question when we're thinking about the incentives to interfere with the American elections, because as you note, there is no real hard data showing that it would change the entire outcome of the election, which I imagine was part of the plan in 2016, whether it was Russia or other foreign actors working to interfere in elections. And you would assume that that would be the goal going into November 3rd this year. Uh, That does bring me to this U.S. Department of Justice indictment that was announced this week for six Russian military hackers. Um, And it wasn't just related to America, and it actually wasn't at all related to election interference. But uh, these indictments came for computer hacking and wire fraud and aggravated identity theft. And it wasn't just America. Like I said, it was the Olympics and uh, medical and energy companies. Why, in your view, would the Russians continue with this sort of efforts whenever they know they're getting caught and the pressure will continue to increase from American lawmakers? It is the question. I think you and I are on the same page in terms of uh, why it is so puzzling. Um, I can offer a few possible answers. What I can't do, I always I always disclaim the ability to read minds, um, even though many of my colleagues in Washington seem to talk with authority, uh, or at least purported authority, about what Vladimir Putin is thinking. The answer is we don't know. We don't know what Putin is thinking. Um, what I can tell you is within the Russian system, Um, There is not always perfect discipline, or I would put it this way, there's a high degree of freelancing. Um, To use the Soviet metaphor, there are efforts to over-fulfill the plan. Uh, Basically, it's a reference to the old Soviet five-year plans, and, you know, the most successful communist leaders were those who'd bring in a bigger harvest than was, you know, called for under the plan. So basically, if, um, let's say, leaders within the GRU, you know, generals, uh, in in the uh, military's intelligence uh, and uh, you know operations branch, or in the SBR, which is the foreign intelligence operations branch, you know if they understand that uh, the overall dynamic and the expectations of, of the leadership of Vladimir Putin himself uh, is to strike at the United States, uh, to strike at U.S. allied Western countries or you know East Asian countries like Japan wherever and whenever possible, ideally by creative and asymmetric means, and hacking certainly fits that bill, they might seek to overfulfill the plan in a kind of uh, entrepreneurial way um, in hopes of, you know, nothing ventured, nothing gained. They may really win big. Um, We may never hear about it if they're very successful, right, because they may never be caught. And the worst case is, you know, they are caught, let's say, but if they presume that Russia is going to suffer um, sanctions consequences from the West no matter what, which most Russians do, most Russians are, are quite certain at this point that sanctions are permanent, are here to stay, and Russia-U.S., Russia-West relations will never get better, then, you know, there's not really a big downside for them. At least they're, in their view, they're on the right side of, of the contest. That's, that's one possible explanation. The other possible explanation uh, is that... Uh, especially in anticipation of the U.S. election, which may end with a second term or may may be followed by a second term of a Trump administration uh, and a congressional dynamic that looks somewhat similar today, or one that may be the opposite, uh, a Biden administration and a Democratic sweep on Capitol Hill. But either way, they may be looking at this moment as one 
on the cusp of a negotiation. Basically, you can't ignore Russia, right? The United States can't not deal with Russia because Russia is so important on so many issues from nuclear weapons to regional conflicts to the pandemic. I mean, everything. And so going into whatever that next negotiation looks like with a President Trump or the President Biden with the Congress, whatever, they may be trying to accumulate leverage. And one way of doing that is to show your ability to reach out and touch a wide range of portfolio issues that may be important to the United States. You've been listening to Matthew Rojanski, the director of the Wilson Center's Kennan Institute. We'll be right back. I wanted to ask you about the decision-making process and the way officials think in Moscow. You, you mentioned this sort of Soviet-era style of bringing in more of the harvest than what was called for. And we're seeing these references to older times in the region, such as the new vaccine trial that is being called Sputnik. And these sort of references to a time where there was a space race and a Cold War. And it's almost as if, from a propaganda standpoint, it makes sense, even on a vaccine front with a a global pandemic, to shift the focus as a race between Russia and the West and show that Russia is succeeding when it comes to getting a usable vaccine and getting their people vaccinated first. What is the the gain, I guess, for the Russian government to do this? And, and why do they sort of continue this old school West versus Russia approach, even on something like a vaccine that is arguably good for everyone? Yeah, that is that is really fascinating. Um, I think the, the most straightforward answer is uh, it's generational. Look, uh, almost every person, and I say this as I... Uh, you know, comfortably settle into my own middle age. Almost every person looks back on a certain period in their lives as, as kind of a golden age, right? Sometimes it's a golden childhood, a golden youth, a golden young adulthood, right? Uh, and and this is no less true of the generation in power in Russia. Uh, you know, Vladimir Putin is nearly 70. Uh, most of the people around him, his cohort, are uh, of the same generation, which means that their golden youth or young adulthood uh, was spent in the Soviet 1970s uh, and even into the 1980s and was coming off, by the way, you mentioned, you know, Sputnik and the space race and so forth was coming off the era of the space race, was, which was in the decades before that. Um, for them, there are these kind of key, almost, almost articles of faith, you know, these sort of quasi-religious markers of what makes for a good life. Um, one of those, of course, is the sanctity of the narrative of the World War II victory. That's why they hold these big parades always, every year, commemorating the World War II victory. It is, it is an article of faith. Another one is patriotism in the inevitable struggle against the hostile, usually Western, most typically American foe. And that's, of course, the Cold War. Um, the space race was emblematic of, I think, kind of a double-edged issue for Russians with the Soviet memory which, of course, nowadays is, is not even the majority of the population, right? Because, you know, it's been 30 years. Uh, you have a huge number of, of younger people in Russia who never experienced the Soviet Union. Um, in fact, you have people voting in Russia nowadays who have only ever experienced Putin's Russia. Uh, an 18-year-old, a 19-year-old has only ever lived under Putin. So, so the memory of Sputnik specifically and of, let's say, scientific triumphs of the Soviet Union 
is, is colored differently depending on who you are. For some people, it is an unadulterated story of triumph. The Soviet Union was a great country. It was an industrial and scientific superpower that sent the first satellite into space, the first man into space, the first dog into space. I mean, you know, all of these great accomplishments and firsts. But on the other hand, those same people remember very well that you had to stand in line to buy sausages, and they weren't always available, and that people would carry around uh, a little uh, net baggie that they could uh, cram into a pocket or into a briefcase just in case suddenly toilet paper would go on sale somewhere. Americans can probably empathize with this now, you know, or, or fresh fruit from, from somewhere in the third world would be imported to Moscow. Um, they know that the quality of life in this same Soviet golden age that Putin is harking back to was very, very low uh, compared to what Americans at the same time were enjoying. And that, I think, is the downfall of this propaganda approach, is that even today, Russians are very connected to the Internet, and especially those young Russians, the ones who never experienced the Soviet system, they know exactly well all the pluses and minuses of their own quality of life and of quality of life in the West. And so, for example, they can accurately judge that while Russia has never been better off, I mean, it's doing okay financially, and they're doing okay, people in the West are still doing better, and they would have a better life if they lived in the West. But on the other hand, they can also accurately judge that politics in Russia is much more stable because it's authoritarian. But if you're okay with that, it's much more stable than in the United States, right, where there are, you know, street protests and, and battles between uh, protesters on the right and left. And, you know, they see all this stuff. And, of course, it is magnified by the Russian media. So you can't, you can, you can do the propaganda. You can give things these kind of golden age veneers, uh, but you can't fool all the people all the time. That's really interesting, the idea of looking at this through a generational lens and just seeing how, like you said, there's an entire generation that knows nothing other than Putin's Russia. And I imagine that really intersects with a lot of the consumption of media in Russia and, and like you said, using social media and, and the Internet. They have the information and what life is like other places. And it'll be interesting to see how that plays out in the coming years to... To see, you know, if there is ever pressure on the Russian government, like we've seen uh, from long-term leaders across the Middle East, uh, things of this nature. Really interesting stuff, and it's a, a unique time to be focusing and, and studying and researching all of these topics. Matthew Rojansky, the director of the Wilson Center's Kennan Institute. Thank you again for your time, Matthew. My pleasure, Trey. Thank you very much. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. The Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.